Malcolm Honline is in Jerusalem. Malcolm Honline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Malcolm, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you. From very sunny Jerusalem where there's no rain and no wind and just beautiful sunshine. And I, I want to give a mazel tov to Hanoch and Alana Holmline in Baltimore on the engagement of their daughter Michal to Emil Chichpertich from Paris, now Maryland. Uh, and they should build a bias in them. I'm also related to them. <laughs> you certainly are. And, uh, how, how appropriate that we start this conversation with good news with a mazel tov. Isn't that what the Jewish people are always about? Uh, being able to rebound and concentrate on the positive, on the good things. Uh, Malcolm, obviously a very challenging week. Uh, you were there. You continue to be there, obviously. Um, Rabbi, uh, Rabbi Zinger, the Rosh Hashiva of Makar Chaim during the eulogy on Tuesday, uh, mentioned the, uh, the, the, uh, tongue-in-cheek uh, Jewish adage about there being, uh, two Jews and three opinions, but he added in a non-tongue-in-cheek manner, he added, but one heart. Did you, in fact, feel that one heart during your visit this week? I was there at the funeral, and I went early in order to, to be able to be there, <clears throat> and was seated uh, right behind the Prime Minister and the families, and could watch their reaction and, and see the not only the loving care that was demonstrated to them, but the strength and the determination and the... Um, confidence that they had, the families had, the, obviously there were points where they broke down and the, only natural reactions, uh, but I heard Rabbi Singer's uh, words and the words of uh, Netanyahu, which was very strong and, and poignant, uh, as were the others, there weren't that many speeches, uh, but the hardest part, I have to tell you, <clears throat> was when three fathers stood up together to say Kaddish, and I will tell you that there certainly wasn't a dry eye amongst the tens and tens and tens of thousands. I have organized big rallies, and I know that you know what it takes to get ten thousand, twenty thousand, thirty thousand. This had to be close to a hundred thousand. Just an endless stream for a kilometer or two kilometers. You could see just masses of people coming out after the funeral. Uh, it took almost an hour to get out of the area in Modine where the uh, three were buried, and that's after. They had the individual ceremonies for each of the three uh, boys. You alluded to this, uh, of course, over the last couple of weeks when you noted that uh, there were no demands being made by the kidnappers, which, you know, obviously did not bode well. If they have nothing of value, then, you know, then, then they would hesitate to make any demands. And obviously, based on what we know now, authorities concluded 99% that the boys were gone almost immediately. Uh, would you think that the families were informed about this very early on? I mean, was it days before authorities gave them their impression of what their fate was, or is this something that they knew within hours? They didn't know within hours because, you know, within hours they, they just started the investigation. But when they found the car and they found uh, the glasses of one of the boys and it was taken in the middle of the night to an optician who identified it, there were other things that they found, obviously blood in the cars, that they knew that there were bad things that happened. They didn't know the ultimate fate because they didn't have the bodies. But you know that one of the fathers said on the third day he wrote the hespit for his son already because he knew the truth. And um, and there and then we know 
that, and just for a moment we'll concentrate on the mothers, that the mothers travel to Geneva and the mothers uh, are going to these rallies and are encouraging people during the Tehillim and prayer sessions to to keep going and not lose faith. And all of this that you just mentioned was in the back of their minds as this was going on. All of this and much more, knowing, you know, fearing what the boys went through, um, you know, they're, they're in the hands of barbaric monsters who are capable of doing anything and have done in the past terrible things that they, to the people they've held captive. Uh, so their reaction and their focus on Achdut, on trying to promote the unity of the Jewish people in the midst of all of this, and their constant uh, admonitions to people to sustain the faith and to demonstrated in different ways was all the more remarkable. I spoke to them at the funeral uh, very briefly, obviously, but you saw that same confidence there. And, and um, you know, one of the mothers fell on the on the uh, stretcher. The bodies were carried on stretchers because they're not buried in coffins in, in Jerusalem. And, you know, these were all natural reactions, but the, the incredible strength that they demonstrated not only through the week, but at the funeral itself, with the bodies laying in front, three little, three gurneys of, of very slight bodies, you could see that. Uh, it, it was superhuman, and I have to tell you, to remain composed during that uh, ceremony was impossible. And you, when I landed, in fact, on the airplane, um, in, in Tel Aviv, as they touch down, you know that every Israeli takes out their phone right away. Right. So they turn on their phones, and you could hear the phones ringing, literally, at a wave across the airplane. And then you heard people going, oh, oh, no, no, and sobbing started. And almost a crescendo was reached as the plane taxied to the uh, gate, because by then it had been confirmed. When we landed, it was only an Al Jazeera report, and it was 10 minutes until we got to the gate, obviously Israeli press was reporting it and people were getting it on their phones and there was hardly a dry eye in the plane. Everybody just quietly walked off the plane. Nobody talked. Nobody laughed. It was unbelievable. Yeah, it's interesting. Some of us didn't realize how engaged we were in the entire story until we heard the news and saw what emotions emerged from us. Uh, Malcolm Honline from Jerusalem. How lucky, may be the wrong word, but you know what I mean, how lucky is it that the bodies were found? I mean, this could have gone on forever, right? This could have gone on, and you know how, how it was found? It was found by volunteers from the area, Jewish volunteers who were combing it, because it had been an area checked by the police. They did not see it. They noticed that there was a tree that was not uh, a natural tree for that area that it seemed uh, both the location that we were standing was artificial, and they went out to check it, and they saw that at the bottom there were stones, and they that's how they found uh, the body. Some people found it unusual that the parents requested that they, the boys all be buried side by side. Uh, does that also reflect the uh, the unity and the struggle that the families had been through, and they you know concluded that there was no other way to end this story? And to have everybody come together in one place after having the private the ceremonies in each of their communities, the idea of having them all together so they could be buried together, having gone through what they did, even if for a short time, hopefully, is again a sign of their incredible dedication and, and devotion and their 
wisdom to see beyond the moment and to, to rise above their own pain to think about how they could serve the state and, and, and the Israel, the Jewish people, by having a, one place where this mass of people could come together. People walked many kilometers because you couldn't get near the area by car, uh, young and old alike, many kilometers, uh, in order to be there. And I think that that was the vision, that there would be one ceremony to show that there's a common pain that we're all part of one family. And I hope, I hope we can find ways to sustain the kind of reaction where there were thousands of events in the United States. You know, people wanted uh, one big rally, and I told them it's much more powerful that this occasion, because it wasn't a political message that we were trying to get out. It was a prayer, it was unity, that there were thousands of events across the United States and around the world held in, in support of the, of the boys and their families. I think it was the most magnificent demonstration possible. What did you think of the uh, speakers list at some of the um, uh, funerals before the one, you know, big gathering? Uh, some people were shocked that uh, someone like Yair Lapid was asked to speak. What was your impression of that? People were shocked, <laughs> I can tell you. The political people, you know, I spoke to, uh, I only saw the one where Boogie Alom because uh, I was, I had just come in and was preparing to go to the uh, to the funeral at uh, Modi'in. Uh, but Yair Lapid and the Minister of Education Piron, uh, both of whom are somewhat ideologically different than uh, maybe where the families came from. But first of all, they're not all of the same view, and right. they they wanted to show again that this is not one segment of the political spectrum or one segment of the Jewish people, but that they all be represented there to show that this is an approach of Kalal Yisrael. And it's, amaz- and it's amazing. You just said so many people don't realize how not everybody's on the same page in this entire group of people, and yet right. never a word about politics, never a word about an individual, a movement, a party, a policy, a direction Israel should or should not take, blaming one or the other in the, you know, from the past or present policies for this entire episode. I mean, what discipline they had to completely remain away from that stuff. That, you're absolutely right, but, but and they went even further. They, they took every opportunity, even at the funeral to thank the police, the IDF, the volunteers, everyone who was involved, and did not point any fingers and say, if you had done this or if somebody else had done something else. Not even against the police, where there is an investigation ongoing for the delay in the response. Yeah, I know, and people already were disciplined for that, right? Yes. Um, it's funny, you, you talk about the unity, and it obviously was the topic of uh, conversation over the last three weeks this incredible unity and uh, we had dove Lippman on we were discussing the whole thing and you know i proposed and and uh, this is something that you and i have discussed in the past if, if we could just start and i and i have to do the same thing i'm not i'm not shirking my responsibility if we could just start with a really harsh rhetoric being eliminated you know not asking people to change their opinions or not be passionate about their point of view but when you hear people say oh that one is destroying Judaism or that party on the right or left is you know taking us in a horrible direction or that one doesn't care about the future of the Jewish people it's those type of statements we can eliminate those based on the unity of the last couple of weeks that would be a tremendous victory it would be very nice if 
people would think about the consequences of their words and their deeds. I don't know who was responsible for killing the Palestinian, but it certainly is a supporter of Hamas because that acted more for Hamas and for uh, distracting people's attention from this necessarily act regarding the three boys and put everything on a moral equivalency. Uh, again, it could be purely an internal uh, thing, a fight, and there are many rumors, and I've spoken to police, but uh, the fear is that this this will have been a nationalistic event. Uh, that we have to consider what what rhetoric what what gave license to this kind of an action. This is so un-Jewish and so uh, contrary to all of our values, and uh, and that and the idea that today when we could come together in such a remarkable way to remind us that what we have in common far outweighs our differences and that only by coming together can we hope to secure everyone's future. We can't afford with the challenges that Israel faces today and you know in the two days I'm here I've had meetings and we'll have many, you know a number more before I come back uh, with the leaders of Israel there are so many issues right now whether it's ISIS and the changing map of the Middle East the, the security situation in Gaza the security situation in the north so many threats the rise of anti-Semitism in Europe the, the Islamist extremists who, who are training in Syria and going to the United States and Europe and elsewhere in the world when we realize all of this you know that we have limited resources and it's only by applying all those resources in a constructive and meaningful way that doesn't mean that everybody has to believe the same thing and it doesn't mean they can't criticize but you got to think of the consequences and what words you use and how you give expression to it right i gotta go i gotta go back for a second because i i and i'm sure others are confused are, are you saying that there's a definitive report now that that arab uh, boy was killed at the hands of jews no there's it, there's no definitive report yet of anything I said that there are some signs indicating that because uh, there are other things in terms of family feuds and stuff that you know we've seen before where you know Arabs killed Arabs for and they killed women they killed men um, and that there was some incident with a cousin of this boy and he comes from a very big clan in in the area so there there's that possibility but uh, I said it doesn't matter who did it whoever they are, are a supporter of Hamas because they're benefiting Hamas right. what they did. Uh, do you know when the results of that investigation will be released? Well, the body's being released now. There's a uh, rioting going on in East Jerusalem and areas um, uh, near the Temple Mount and elsewhere. Uh, the destruction in certain isolated areas, especially of the light railroad stop in, in uh, Arab areas, were completely destroyed, set on fire. Um, they've been clashing with police almost nonstop, uh, large numbers. Uh, they've attacked individuals, uh, Jews who they and people who they thought were Jews, but turned out not to be. Um, and so, as of now, we do not know. Today, the body is being released for the funeral, and then the police will release the the uh, information from the study because the body was burned. It took much longer to do the forensic uh, testing that they need to do. America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial and around the world on the web, jmtheam.org. Friday morning on this 4th of July, let us remember that we are privileged to be living in a country that's free and one that has democratic values. 
Um, before we move on to what we got to talk about, Israeli reaction militarily, which we will in a moment, what about other types of reaction? Uh, were you dissatisfied with the way the White House dealt with this whole episode and even the way they responded after the three bodies were found? Well, I think uh, <clears throat> the White House and, and Israel cooperated in Israel, and they offered you know, any assistance to, to Israel. But the public statements, I think, were one thing. And especially to, to if the bodies were found, to right away say that both sides should exercise restraint, as if both sides have some responsibility in the death of the three boys who were not engaged in anything. And, and the, the headlines constantly referred to three settlers, three settler youths, because that has some connotation as, as justification for their deaths, because they are, quote, settlers. Uh, so those pu- that was not from the administration, that from the media. Right. But the fact that they they could have waited, you know, a few hours and issued a separate statement about the responsibilities of both sides, I think it would have had much more of an impact than people have, you know, deluded us with criticisms of the administration's uh, statements. And it seemed that Secretary the Israelis of- here have not been that critical. It seems that Secretary of State Kerry was very anxious to get out there after the killing of this uh, Arab boy that we just spoke about, without even having results of the investigation. Uh, right, and uh, I guess he has other agendas as well. And the other thing is rabbinic and Jewish leadership reaction. Um, I don't know what infuriates me more when people use this opportunity to insist that now we see that only a two-state solution is the only solution as the funeral is going on, or, uh, or rabbinic leaders who insist on telling us why these three boys were killed and end up blaming their parents for it. Uh, from right to left, I think there are some, uh, uh, there, are, there should be strong suggestions that it's sometimes better to keep one's mouth shut. There are, <clears throat> these are very disturbing, and uh, I think things that will have to be addressed in the future. The idea that, that people use it for political purposes and to to diminish the moment when we should be coming together to mourn and to either put blame or responsibility because these young boys were learning in yeshiva in a certain area or in any other reason that, that they could give, or to advocate. I mean, right now, people advocating a, a two-state solution, I think, would see themselves as a, 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 a facing many counter-arguments given the ISIS activities, etc., and, uh, and the developments in Gaza. Uh, as uh, saying that this is the moment is not mature and right, given what the PA is up to, what all, all the things, and thinking that if in fact that had been an area where uh, of autonomy at a time like this, where Hamas might have emerged uh, victorious and linked up with ISIS in Iraq, it's not a far distance; it's just across Jordan, um, with very few protections in between. This would have changed the whole map of the Middle East. Yeah. I mean, and Israel would be facing Iran on its borders, something that's still possible. And Jordan is certainly seen as the as the most vulnerable target right now, and could be a prime target for the Jordan. Not necessarily to take it over, but to establish themselves and to to spread the quote caliphate, which uh, you know we talked about from the very beginning, and that this was the goal. And, Look how they how they have moved. Yeah, sort of like Lebanon, right? Where they where they may not officially have always been in control, but where their dominance is obvious. They they well, not this group particularly, but the, the, the fact that Iraq has collapsed, that the army of Iraq has collapsed, that Maliki, who uh, over the years has been a puppet of the Iranians, um, 
and is now exposed for his incompetence and for his uh, one-sidedness and people taking revenge on all sides in, in these issues. Right. And you see the radicalization of population, Sunni Shiite, as people are being mobilized to fight for and against uh, the other sides in, in this uh, situation. Yeah, I didn't say people that... People might say that, it's look, it's in Israel's interest that all these guys kill each other, but you have to think also about what the outcome will be and whether that will be in Israel's interest. Yeah, I wasn't suggesting that they are Hezbollah, but I was just comparing them to uh, Hezbollah and what had happened. About the activities. They, right. That is the model. They right. say that that's the model. Right, exactly. Uh, all right, so let's start with Gaza. Uh, the, you know, we kept uh, saying that we'll speak to you on Friday and find out if it's going to be a rough summer in Israel. Looks like we're heading in that direction, although, of course, we pray for the safety and security of all IDF soldiers who can be involved in any of these missions. Uh, what is, I don't even know if the Prime Minister knows the answer to this question right now, but I'll ask you anyway. Uh, what is the Israeli response going to be uh, on the border with Gaza? Is it going to be similar to what we've seen over the last couple of days, or is it going to escalate, where in fact this is going to be an even more challenging summer? Uh, I think the Prime Minister has made put down very clear markers about w- w- what he expects from Hamas, and they gave him 24 hours to end the fight, and then end the rockets. The, yesterday, uh, I know there were 30 rockets, and then the, during the night there were more. Some of them hit homes, uh, which is a red line, an absolute red line. Israel has retaliated against multiple sites inside Gaza, which they know were uh, military start, uh, military sites. Uh, but the truth is that you can't root it out unless you have troops on the ground going in after these locations underneath hospitals and inside underneath mosques and in people's homes uh, where they store these uh, rockets. They don't mind putting civilians uh, in harm's way. <clears throat> and... Uh, and you cannot look at it in isolation from all the other things that are 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 going on. Right. Um, so the the battle with Hamas is is engaged right now. I think that the uh, you know the fight over the fifty thousand employees that Abbas has ordered back to work those are Fatah employees in Gaza, while fifty thousand Hamas employees are without work and are getting no compensation from all along. He paid 70,000 people not to work for years in Gaza, the whole civil service uh, infrastructure. So now that's another source of tension and clash between the Palestinians, between uh, Abbas and and, uh, Hamas. And he has threatened to break the deal if they prove that that Hamas was behind the the killing of the three boys or the abduction of the three boys. And it doesn't mean that they have to have carried it out. It means that they incited, that they they inspired, uh, and uh, the concept process of incitement is a subject that I hope will get more attention now. So the the situation in Gaza, where there are tens of thousands of missiles, and despite the fact that a lot of the infrastructure has been hit, uh, a lot remains. And this is, it's like one massive military depot. What about this truce that we keep reading about? Israel, Hamas, Egypt, what's that all about? Well, Israel uh, uh, pulled out of it. I mean, there was a, a, a ceasefire agreement, uh, but Hamas, like always, has violated constantly. There have been attempts to place IEDs along the roads, there are attempts to lure, and, and remember, there were 60 attempts to kidnap people, including soldiers, since January of last year. 
So, unfortunately, this time it succeeded, but it's not because they haven't been trying all along to do it. Right, but in terms of this activity this week by Israel, there are rumors about Egypt brokering some type of truce between Hamas and the Israelis. Is there? Is that even possible? Yeah, there are reports that, that they're trying to broker a ceasefire. You know, Mubarak did it several times also. Um, you know, that this doesn't need to be brokered. This needs a determination by Hamas that they're going to go after those who are firing it. Then they'll say, well, it's not our people, it's Islamic Jihad. They're in charge, they're responsible. And in terms of the battle against Hamas in the Judean hills, are they going to find these two kidnappers? Uh, a lot of resources are being devoted. They know who they're looking for. They've demolished the homes of the two. And, and then you see the criticism of that when we know that it's, in fact, uh, an effective deterrent there, and you have very few that, that really work because Israel doesn't execute those responsible. They, they put them in prison and then release them, as most democracies do, even after many years. And the, the demolition of the house is something that can be a really important deterrent because these guys don't want to see that even if they go off to jail and live off the state, the, the families will pay a price as well. Right. So the, the criticism of it to me is, is almost irrational. As, it seems to me a very effective way. As you sat in meetings this week, what was the evaluation? I don't even know what you're allowed to reveal, but what was the evaluation of this whole uh, operation in the Judean Hills in the last two and a half weeks? I mean, did, did, they, did, did they accomplish what they wanted to accomplish? They eradicate Hamas cells to the degree that they would have liked to uh, in the Judean Hills. Well, first of all, it's not over. And second, uh, the, the, it was very effective because they were able to move quickly against the infrastructure of Hamas and essentially dismantle it. Uh, and Abbas, again, should be thanking them and praising them, so should the world. Um, but they, they've arrested many of the key operatives, including people released for uh, at the time of the Shalit deal. Uh, the... the uh, I think that it's generally seen as been effective. They were, you know, it was a limited, uh, there was a limited ability at that point to, to detect exactly where they were because a lot of caves, it's a very difficult terrain. And, uh, as I said, it was, it was actually volunteers who, who located the actual site where the mm-hmm. caves were. So the international community has not rallied against what Israel's done. They've told Israel, uh, you know, do it with restraint and constraint. But you see even some of the European leaders were pretty supportive. Uh, of Israel doing what it had to do in regard to the three points. The Prime Minister of Great Britain uh, released a pretty supportive statement. The Prime Minister of Great Britain, as you know, Canada is always supportive and more right. a few others. But at the same time, the same Europeans who were leading the issuing statements were announcing that they were encouraging or passing um, directives to businessmen not to do business with the, the settlements in the West Bank. I mean, this is such a distortion and such a, 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 a warped approach that you punish the people there, many of whom are employing Palestinians, by the way, and they're telling them not to do business. They don't tell them not to do business with all these places where, where hundreds of thousands of people, millions of people each year are being killed around the world, and nobody puts out directives. But against the settlements of housing units in, in the West Bank, then it becomes... Uh, a subject for for the BDS and for the boycott movement. Is it unreasonable for us to demand of our American public officials, members of the United States Senate, members of the United States House of Representatives, to demand that Washington stop funding the Palestinian Authority as long as Hamas continues to be part of that group? 
there is, first of all, I, I, um, there were members of Congress here, including very influential ones like Alana Ross Leighton and Ted Deutsch, uh, ranking uh, Democrat and Republicans in the subcommittee. But the House Appropriations Committee approved uh, the operation bill that bars aid to the PA uh, from $440 million in proposed funding that the the uh, Senate version uh, of the Foreign Ops Bill, Foreign Operations Bill, includes similar language, was approved, I think, in mid-June by the Senate Appropriations uh, Committee. And uh, this year's language uh, targets any type of power-sharing government that, as I think the language here was, results from an agreement with Hamas, and it imposes quite strict conditions under which the administration can waive the fund, uh, funding ban. And uh, it says that the funding, for essentially, for the Palestinians is off the table until it's clear that the unity government is committed to peace and security. And Kay Granger, who's the chair of the committee uh, from Texas, uh, used those words in, in asserting the purpose of, of the action. So Congress has moved very clearly now. Uh, Israel, I think, is withholding... Uh, its aid that was due this week at the beginning of the month for uh, the Palestinians. And we'll have to see yet what decision they make about uh, the future funding, because some of it goes for security uh, forces, and they need them to be there and to be cooperative. Is it a true account that uh, as ambulances were taking the bodies out of that area where they were found, that in fact they were being stoned, those ambulances were being stoned uh, by Arabs, um, uh, during that trip? Uh, during which trip? When they were taking the bodies out by ambulance from the area where they were found to, I guess, where they would be prepared for burial, that those ambulances right. were actually stoned by Arabs? Yes. They were, and, uh, and they knew what the, what was in it, in the ambulances as they departed because they saw the rush of, uh, responsive security personnel to the area. And as they pulled out, they were, they were stoned, but there were many incidents of stoning uh, in the area over the last couple of days. Yeah. And now much more extreme violence, you know, being perpetrated using the uh, the death of the young Palestinian as a, as a cover for what clearly is planned, not spontaneous responses. When your meetings this week are not focusing on Gaza, I assume they are focusing on what's happening in neighboring countries, which you alluded to earlier, ISIS, etc. I, I, <laughs> I know for, I know for people like me, it's difficult to, uh, you know, sift through everything and understand all the sides and what direction Israel should take. What about Israeli leadership? Is there any more clarity now in terms of either who they should be supporting or what type of governments they should be, um, uh, they should be, uh, you know, trying to help in these cases. I mean, should they be helping the government of Jordan? Should they be supporting the established government of Iraq? What should Israel be doing right now? Well, first of all, you're right about the panoply of issues. And remember, we also faced the July 20th deadline with Iran. Oh, and, yeah, that's right. And the Iran negotiations, plus more, which is weighing very heavily on the minds of, of Israel and would be, I'd say, the priority issue. A longer term issue beyond the, mo- the thing, issues of the moment, but the the if you look, Israel is strongly advocating for Jordan to assure the stability of Jordan, which is important for Israel. It's important for the PA. It's important for Jordan. It's important for the region. The collapse of the Jordanian regime, the Jordanian government would put Iran on Israel's border. It would 
uh, unleash unleash uh, uh, forces with a million and a half Syrians, with the other refugees there, and and the Muslim Brotherhood, the the Palestinian population being two thirds of Jordan, you you could have untold consequences. Israel is also seemingly supporting uh, more autonomy, if not independence, for the Kurds. This is a big story that gets underplayed, but this is one of the things that could remain after things settle down, if they ever do, uh, that could change the whole Middle East. The ISIS, I think, can't sustain long-term holding it if they're facing really organized and intelligent opposition, and they should be going after their supply routes and their backing in uh, in Syria. But they're recruiting more people. ISIS is not such a big group. The estimates are that maybe 7,000 to 15 or 20,000 max uh, of support, but they're getting now recruits from all over the world because people, the, the extremists, uh, driven by extremist ideologies who, who are looking for uh, a place who were initially recruited to fight in Syria are now fighting with ISIS, which is seen as the vanguard for the establishment of this caliphate and the other activities that it's talking about. All of this exacerbating the Sunni-Shiite tensions uh, in, in the region, it, and this could be a, a, a very critical factor. But the Kurds, if they, you see, Turkey's position now has changed in in supporting now some sort of Turkish independence. But you have to know that there's an August 10th election, and the Kurds could well be the kingmakers in who gets elected president. So Erdogan is now wooing them, and uh, in the hope that he will get their votes, and that will be the difference because he's running neck and neck with the opposition and the. I think uh, many of the analysts say the decision will be made by how the Kurdish vote goes. There are 12 million Kurds in, in uh, Turkey. Uh, so the the move towards establishing a Kurdish independent area <laughs> so that... again erase the borders. You know, the, 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 I challenge people to tell me, where is the border today between Iraq and Syria? So if we see Erdogan, for instance, calling for you know Kurdish autonomy, it's simply a political ploy to make sure he gets their votes. It's absolutely a a political uh, maneuver right now for himself, and uh, we see how the Kurds are using the threat of of independence to obtain the best possible uh, deal for staying in Iraq. You know, they have some of the oil areas they've been selling oil. There are a lot of issues we can't go into, but I mean, it's very complex uh, subjects and. Um, and you have to see how how the people, the residents in, in these different countries, how they will be treated. What will Iran do, which fears very much an independent uh, Kurdish state, because it goes from Iran, Turkey, Syria, Iraq. You have right. large numbers of Kurds in, in all of these areas, and uh, they also have close ties to Israel. And which border challenge did you just issue? Iraq, Syria, you said? To, yes. To- Iraq, Syria, that would be the challenge. Uh, so interesting, uh, toward the beginning of what you were just saying, uh, what we've learned is that arguably Israel's least, uh, or Israel's most peaceful border, potentially, if we don't play Jordan right and if Iran moves the way we think they might, could become its most troubling border. Because you'd have to say arguably the least, uh, uh, the most peaceful border right now is with Jordan, right? Essentially, uh, obviously, it's with Jordan, right? And uh, and God forbid, if Iran does what you just described, it could become the biggest border problem for Israel. It could be, and that's why Israel has been very supportive, and why they have been encouraging the West to be supportive of of uh, the king and and the, his military, so they can defend themselves. 
But Israel's border with Lebanon has been relatively quiet, and right. even the Syrian border, if there's a retaliated, relatively quiet. Right, but because of it the extension, there are no incidents. Right, but because of the extension from Syria, I don't think we'd ever label it as quiet. We're always worried that anything could happen in a moment up there. And the same thing is true though with Jordan. I mean, yeah. The same thing is true in in all these areas. When you look at the polls, ninety percent of uh, Jordanians do not support close relations with Israel or. or uh, the numbers in, and the incitement in, against the, uh, within the populations against Israel, against the closeness to Israel, very strong. It's, it's not to be dismissed about what the implications of that is. And finally, tell us about that deal with Iran. The United States has to do what in the next couple of weeks? Have to reach an agreement. To July 20th is the deadline of the six months set forth. There is a provision to extend it for six months. They say we'll do it unless they've made sufficient progress. I had a briefing uh, last night, uh, night before last, from a top White House official here uh, who called me. And, you know, I don't see anything that has radically changed, except that uh, the number of centrifuges may be much higher. This is something that will be very unacceptable to Israel and should be unacceptable to the U.S. They point out that the storage capacities are, are less. In other words, they don't have, uh, they, they've set the limit on how much you could store. But, Frankly, it is not relevant anymore because the new centrifuges, they have not taken any out. It's true they haven't added any and replaced them, but they have uh, 19,000 centrifuges in place, including a couple thousand of the most modern, and those can move directly into towards enrichment at the, at the level needed for a, a weapon. So the storage is not that important. And the question is what happens with the missile capacity, what happens with the weaponization, the military we haven't even heard the discussions uh, of those things. So the question will be, will they extend it six months till the next six months? What will they do in terms of easing sanctions? Right. Uh, you know, the argument is given that sanctions have continued to be impactful and the economy is down, inflation is 30%, etc. And yet we hear of seminars given for European businessmen about uh, that are packed with major corporations, representatives, <laughs> discussing about how you get back in business in, Ur- in Iran. <laughs> to invest post, to invest in uh, Iran. Right? Encouraging people to invest there. To to do business. Right. <laughs> Unbelievable. And in, even though it's, some of the fears, you know, the car sales haven't gone up, the many other things that people thought might happen because of the change in the sanctions regime till now, and the sanctions continue to be applied, and they do have an impact. But we, what we have to do is see more of it and not a weakening of, of the... Uh, of the sanctions, and to see the the uh, united front from the powers, uh, and that that would include also about their meddling in Iraq, their their uh, support for international terrorism, their human rights violations. You know, time is running out. There isn't much time for such a complicated deal. The uh, they claim uh, that the world should simply trust them. It ignores the fact that for twenty years, fifteen years. There are dozens of violations by Iran of its international uh, non-proliferation uh, obligations and responsibilities. In fact, going back to the 80s. So there's no basis on which we would just act on trust with them, even on the common interests that we have in the region. Because right. this will do more damage, frankly, or as much damage as anything I can imagine uh, in, the, in the Middle East. They're going to try to drag out the negotiations, the Iranians will, uh, I don't think the administration and the Europeans want to see failed negotiations. They've got enough failures on their hands now. But uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see very soon. It's not going to take a long time before we know 
what direction it's headed, and uh, there could be serious clashes between the United States and some of its key allies over this. Malcolm, two Jews, three opinions, one heart. Give us your final message of this very sensitive week. Just on the one heart, and and I think if anybody who was at that funeral could not go away unchanged, and it reminds us that Israel values life, our enemies value death. Israel kills when it's ne- only when it's essential to exist. Our enemies exist to kill. And the the difference in values and infrastructure, and, and, and we value all human life. We don't want to see anybody uh, killed or dead. But when Israel has to defend itself and has to make sure that the people in the South, if you would see the fear and concern of children, the, the, some of the films of how they have to run in and stay road now, but these missiles will hit Tel Aviv ultimately. And only all of us coming together, not just in the moment of tragedy, but to stand firmly together in support of Israel, in support of our future. The, 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 the lesson of all of this is that this, these are all of our children. These three boys are all of ours. And it's why any comments that, that tend to that misdirect attention or any actions any any irresponsibilities and the the idea that you can have radicals in amongst the Jewish population is is uh, also something that should be of concern because they hurt uh, Israel standing in the world and standing with the Jewish people and engage in irresponsible uh, actions. So we have to wait and see what happened with this uh, Arab kid. We don't know yet, and people shouldn't rush to it. But I think if all of us, if every shul this Shabbos would again think about it, and we're looking for events to do down the road now, not to lose this moment of of the unity, especially during the three weeks, a period that has always tested the Jewish people throughout history. After the unity that we saw is going to be more important than ever. Oh, no question about it. Uh, enjoy Jerusalem. We will reconvene next week. Have a wonderful Shabbos. Have a good Shabbos. Malcolm Holland is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Friday weekly update here on this 4th of July morning at JM in the AM.